Leaders in Congress send a message on the southern border. Last month alone, we saw the most illegal crossings in recorded history. It is an unmitigated disaster, a catastrophe. Lawmakers highlight the struggle the latest migrant surge imposes on Texas communities, why some people who live on the border are pushing back on that narrative. Amid the division on the border, a new push to build bridges. Democrats and Republicans working together uh, to make sure we have legitimate trade and tourism. How bipartisan support is fueling efforts to boost trade between Texas and Mexico. I was the first African-American woman to run and win any office in Dallas. I didn't even realize that. A trailblazer in Texas politics, now tributes to the life and legacy of iconic Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson led dozens of Republican members of Congress on Wednesday to Eagle Pass. It's part of their effort to get Congress to pass hardline border security measures and oust Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Orion Chandler covered the event and found a deeply political and human issue that is throwing tiny Texas communities into the national spotlight. Every state in America is now a border state, and we've seen that on vivid display today. Eagle Pass, now the epicenter of an issue dominating the nation and Congress. America is at a breaking point with record levels of illegal immigration, and today we got a first-hand look at the damage and the chaos the border catastrophe is causing in all of our communities. Speaker Johnson rallying his caucus behind stricter immigration policies like Trump's remain in Mexico. Dozens of Republicans from across the country met with Texas law enforcement steps from the Rio Grande with the White House top of mind. It's a disaster of the president's own design. Not a hundred feet behind Speaker Johnson's presser, a migrant family walks to America. A striking contrast between the political and the personal impacts of this crisis. The dehumanization of these people is what's so abhorrent to us. Some residents of Eagle Pass calling for compassion, denouncing the visit. I live here, I was born here, and I fight here. And right now we're literally fighting against Abbott. We want them gone. The focus, though, will certainly not go anywhere soon as Republicans point to the border to take the White House this November. We are united in making sure House Republicans' uh, top priority is securing this border. And that shows, that shows by us being here. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. The border visit came on the same day the Justice Department sued Texas over a new law to allow police to arrest migrants who enter the U.S. illegally. The law is scheduled to take effect March 5th. It would require state judges to order migrants to return to Mexico if they are convicted on charges of illegal entry. The federal government says it is clearly unconstitutional, pointing to a similar Arizona law that was struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court in 2012. Our Capitol correspondent Monica Madden asked Speaker Johnson about this in Eagle Pass. Do you think it should be within states' rights to enforce federal immigration law like the law Texas just passed due to the state 
of the crisis despite the ruling previously in Arizona versus USA. Absolutely. Listen, we have applauded Governor Abbott and all the brave law enforcement officers here on the border in Texas. They're doing their dead level best to protect their citizens, and that's his number one job. The federal government, the White House, the administration refuses to do it. So if you're the governor of Texas or a border state or any governor, you have the responsibility, the right, the constitutional authority to do the right thing and secure your people. Governor Greg Abbott's plan to bus migrants to New York City faces a new legal challenge. Mayor Eric Adams is suing the bus and transportation companies that help Texas send migrants to the Big Apple. Adams says the bus companies are breaking a New York law. It says anyone who brings a person into the state knowing they will be dependent on government support has to pay the cost. The city wants $708 million from the companies. The money would go toward the costs of caring for the migrants. For almost two years now, buses from Texas have arrived with little or no warning. New York City officials say that has made it difficult to plan. Governor Abbott issued a statement responding to the lawsuits. It said, quote, every migrant bust or flown to New York City did so voluntarily after having been authorized by the Biden administration to remain in the United States. As such, they have constitutional authority to travel across the country. Amid the division over border policy, we also saw an example of cooperation. Leaders from the U.S. and Mexico met in Laredo to discuss plans to quickly expand international bridges in South Texas. It's a plan to boost trade and bipartisan support for a new law made it possible. Border Report's Sandra Sanchez has the story. We're here today to celebrate a tremendous victory for Laredo, for South Texas, for all of the state of Texas, and for the entire country. Republican U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, Democratic South Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar, and the governor of the Mexican state of Tamaulipas were among border leaders who met in Laredo Thursday. They were at the World Trade Bridge, which they said could begin needed expansion by April. That's under a new law passed in the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act that will expedite bridge construction at the same time that environmental studies are being done. Lawmakers say this is a game changer that will enable the expansion and creation of new international bridges between South Texas and Mexico, including the Rio Grande Valley. Four projects, including a new bridge in Brownsville, are already in the pipeline. Lawmakers said this has been a bipartisan effort. It comes as immigration reform is stalled in Congress and as the number of undocumented migrants illegally crossing the border is at the highest levels in history. How can you take the lessons learned, bipartisan lessons learned from this, to Washington with immigration reform and everything that's going on? You know, today we're talking about bipartisan Democrats and Republicans working together uh, to make sure we have legitimate trade and tourism. But we can do the same thing for immigration reform. Lawmakers are counting on being able to start construction of the World Trade Bridge from 10 lanes to 18 lanes by April. In Laredo, Texas, Sandra Sanchez, Border Report. Cuellar says Mexico has committed $800 million to install the same high-tech, non-intrusive security screening systems used by the United States. You can find out more about the bridges online now. We have a list of the new projects at borderreport.com. An icon in Texas politics remembered for her service. It's a type of job that one, if you're really into it, the time passes without you even realizing it's passed. The tributes and the controversy after the death of trailblazing Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson. 
Plus, Texas school districts struggling to find police officers to comply with a new state law, how one district is attracting applicants and aiming for a long-term solution. A deadly shooting at a school in Iowa. For many, the tragedy highlights the never-ending need to protect students on campus. Here in Texas, lawmakers passed new requirements for school districts to hire more armed officers, but many schools are finding it hard to fill those positions. Now one Central Texas district is trying something new. Nabil Ramadna shows us the steps they're taking to attract more officers. Walking the halls at Hutto High School. Hello, everything going all right? All right, good. cool. If y'all need anything, let us know. How do I ask the officer Randy Wheeler checks in to see how everyone's doing? Everything going all right? Wheeler, one of 18 police officers in the district. House Bill 3, which passed last summer, required school districts to have an armed officer on every campus. So Hutto added officers. We've doubled our size. Hutto ISD Police Chief William Edwards says they still need to fill positions, though. We need six more full-time officers at this particular point in time. In April, the district will begin their cadet program to bring in more police officers. Candidates would start as campus safety officers, then move to a cadet. Then finally, if it all goes well, become Hutto ISD police officers. They can go from the safety aspect to the police aspect and stay within the same district. While some districts have faced challenges filling positions, Williams says the move increases school safety. Having more officers on campus is definitely going to make the district safer. And it will create a pipeline to keep people in the district. It'll help us, one, have a greater uh, recruiting pool to look towards. Officer Wheeler says hiring from within is a good move. They've got familiarity with the uh, school system already. They know the campuses. They know a lot of the kids. Nabil Ramadna, State of Texas. House Bill 3 also calls for creating a safety and security department within the Texas Education Agency. It gives that new department authority to compel school districts to establish robust active shooter protocols. Those that fail to meet the agency standards, however, could be put under the state's supervision. The bill also requires the TEA to develop standards for notifying parents of violent activity on campus. A new law takes effect banning diversity, equity, and inclusion offices at Texas colleges. How some universities are making moves to comply or get around the law. Trailblazer, icon, words of praise for a legendary figure in state politics. How Texans are remembering the life and legacy of Eddie Bernice Johnson. Plus, making history again. The Texas senator who reached a new first for a woman at the Capitol. Revamp, rename, and even remove. Those are some of the options public colleges and universities are taking to comply with a new Texas law that bans DEI offices. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion. The law took effect at the start of the year. Will Dupree found there are now efforts to monitor how closely the law is followed, as well as whether implementation goes too far. When students at the University of Texas at Austin return to classes in less than two weeks, they may notice one office changed its name. It now goes by the Division of Campus and Community Engagement, 
after dropping the word diversity to comply with the new state law. Senate Bill 17 requires public universities like those in the UT system to no longer have offices dedicated to promoting DEI. We've always known that we would need to monitor them every step of the way. Sherry Sylvester says her organization, the Conservative Texas Public Policy Foundation, will soon launch a tool where students and faculty members can report suspected violations of the law. Our goal is every student, regardless of their opinion, should be free to speak and not feel like that they are being coerced under this ideology. This law does not apply to what professors can teach or the types of student groups. So, for example, if a black student group wants to bring in a speaker from Black Lives Matter, they are full within their rights under Senate Bill 17 to do so. Antonio Ingram says the NAACP Legal Defense Fund has a network of contacts helping to make sure exceptions to the law are followed. And so I think it's really important to, to note uh, that students in this new landscape actually have a lot of power and have a lot of ability to continue to cultivate these experiences um, in their individual and student group capacities. Will Dupree, State of Texas. Some universities have restructured their DEI offices to comply with Senate Bill 17. University of North Texas last month announced its new Center for Belonging and Engagement. The university's president outlined the goals for the center, saying, quote, In aligning with the requirements of this new law, UNT will continue to support all students, including our first-generation, low-income, and underserved students. Memorial services this week will honor a Texas political pioneer. Longtime Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson died on New Year's Eve at the age of 88. Her death comes less than a year after she left office after spending nearly 40 years serving the public. Vince Sims looks back at her life and legacy. Eddie Bernice Johnson was once a psychiatric nurse before winning her first election to the Texas House of Representatives in 1972. African-American women had not been involved that much in uh, electoral politics. As a matter of fact, I learned several years later from one of the researchers at the University of Texas that I was the first African-American woman to run and win any office in Dallas. I didn't even realize that. She later won election to the state Senate before moving on to Congress, winning the district she helped create and going to Washington in 1992. She represented Dallas, pushing for transportation projects. And in 2019, the city recognized her efforts by renaming the once segregated Union Station in her honor. It's a, it's a good feeling. Um, <laughs> And, and I appreciate it. Johnson served in key roles during her 15 terms in Congress, serving on the House Transportation Committee, leading the powerful Congressional Black Caucus for several years starting in 2001, and later serving as chair of the House Science, Space and Technology Committee. Through it all, the Dallas political icon fought for the rights of black Americans and the Southern Dallas County voters she represented. I have looked at this entire city. I love this city. I love the progress the city has made. Uh, we still have uh, some of the same concerns and suspicions and problems as any other place. But I have seen a great, great improvement. Johnson announced her retirement in November of 2021. There's no Texan in the history of this state who has brought more home. And I'm proud of it. And for the legendary Dallas resident, retirement was no easy choice. 
I don't know how you can stop an engine that is so intensely involved in, in what it's about, but, but I want to stop it. <laughs> I mean, I, I really do want to, I, I, I want to wind it down and, and move to whatever is out there for me. My grandson said to me about a year and a half ago, he said, Granny, you're the only granny I know that still works all the time. I guess when you get my age, you, you're concerned more about whether or not your legacy will be encouraging. That was Vince Sims reporting from Dallas. After Johnson announced her retirement in 2021, she handpicked the Dallas Democrat she wanted to carry on her legacy. I never imagined that I would be running for Congress. I never imagined that she would call me of all people. Jasmine Crockett left the Texas House to run for the congressional seat previously held by Johnson. Crockett launched her campaign after the trailblazing congresswoman called on her to enter the race. And she was the one that I asked to run because she has shown she's willing to work. This was her office as well. Um, she sat down and she went through the calendar with me. She's like, now these are the events that I do every year. It weighed on me the conversations that she had about what she missed by not retiring earlier. And so I did my best not to call her. Crockett says big transportation projects are part of the legacy Eddie Bernice Johnson leaves for her North Texas district. Crockett says she feels extra pressure to keep that momentum going after Johnson's death. There is controversy surrounding Johnson's death. On Thursday, her family announced plans to sue Baylor Scott and White System and its Institute for Rehabilitation. Johnson was at that rehab facility after having back surgery. The family's attorney said Johnson's death was caused by an infection in her spine that developed due to negligence. At a news conference, her son described finding her at the facility laying in her own feces with no one helping her. She was being unattended to. She was screaming out in pain and for help. If she had gotten proper care at that facility, she would be here today. The family's attorney says Johnson herself told him before her death that she wanted accountability for what happened to her. A spokesperson with Baylor Scott and White sent this statement to the NBC station in Dallas, quote, Congresswoman Johnson was a longtime friend and champion in the communities we serve. She is an inspiration to all. We are committed to working directly with the Congresswoman's family members and their counsel. Out of respect for patient privacy, we must limit our comments. There will be three days of memorials to celebrate Johnson's life. She'll lie in state at Fair Park on Monday leading up to the wake that evening. Her funeral will be held Tuesday in Dallas. And on Wednesday, Johnson will be buried at the Texas State Cemetery. A Texas senator known for making history is doing it again. I hope to promote that collaboration and the spirit of friendship among the senators. The new milestone that's a first for a woman in the Texas Senate. Judith Zaffarini is no stranger to making history. In 1986, she became the first Mexican-American woman elected to the Texas State Senate. And we've told you how she's never missed a vote in the Senate. More than 70,000 consecutive votes so far. That's a record among Texas lawmakers. Now Zaffarini is making history again. She's now the first woman to serve as dean of the Texas Senate. Mercedes Hernandez spoke to the senator about her latest history-making achievement. We have had only 24 women serve in the Texas Senate in the entire history of the state of Texas. 
24 women with 952 men. Senator Judith Zaffarini has been in the Texas Senate since 1986. Back then, she was the first Mexican-American woman ever elected to the Senate. But I would always say the compadres need a comadre because we had never had a woman. And then it took another 13 years to elect a second one. She'll make Texas history once again when she steps in as the state's first ever woman dean of the Senate. The position is held by the most senior member. Current Dean John Whitmire is stepping down in the new year to serve as the mayor of Houston. Zaffarini has 37 years in the Senate and says she wants to promote partnership between parties when she takes over on January 1st. I hope to promote that collaboration and the spirit of friendship among the senators. Because when you promote bipartisanship, you promote friendship. She says the moment is an honor, but a little bittersweet. The next three senators in line for the deanship are men. So after her, it could take some time for another woman to fill the role. She says the state still has several other roles that are waiting for their first woman leader as well. We've had a woman governor. We've had a woman a land commissioner. We've had a woman United States senator, treasurer. But we've never had a woman lieutenant governor or speaker of the House. In Austin, Mercedes Hernandez, State of Texas. Zaffarini is going into her 37th year in the Texas Senate. Dallas Democrat Royce West is the only other senator who served more than 30 years. Zaffarini's historic move comes after outgoing Dean John Whitmire resigned from the Senate. On Tuesday, he took the oath of office as Houston's new mayor. Whitmire is well known for his tenure at the Capitol. He served in the Senate since his election in 1982. And before that, he served 10 years in the Texas House. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.